Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business, and I have with me today Rob Kopman, who is the author of a book that has sold, we calculated conservatively, a half a million copies. I wanted him to come on the show to talk with you about what it's like to continuously sell a book for 15 years and to sell large quantities of that book and what his formula for success is that led to those types of numbers. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. Really happy to be here. And I can tell you right away how it feels. It feels great. (laughs) And to have sold half a million copies of a book? That's easy. It feels great. Yeah, I love it. I always well, wonder I, how long will it last? You know, how, how many years is this going to be a, a top seller on Amazon or anywhere else? And I don't see it really dwindling for the foreseeable future, but it can't last forever. I know that the person listening to this is saying, all right, Rob, tell us about this book. What is the topic that it covers? Okay. Uh, I assume you want the honest answer, so I'll give you that. You're being the, recorded, and somebody's yeah. probably fact-checking you, right, as, even as we're talking. Well, there's the marketing answer, and there's the real <laughs> answer. So, and, and often they're the same, but sometimes they're not. So, anyway, um, you want the whole story? I sure do. Okay. Well, first of all, the book is really not a book as you would consider like a novel or a history of World War II or anything like that. It's a, it's a book that's 32 pages long. It's full color. It's available in a traditional six inch by nine inch format saddle stitch, which means stapled on the spine. And it's also available in eight and a half by 11 large print. It's available as a download. So we send out a PDF, which people can print their own. And I'm very proud to say that it's also available in Braille. And that's word for word, page for page. As far as I know, I'm the only one still who has this type of book on the market available in all those formats. So what is the book? Well, it's called Haggadah, or if you're in Israel, it's Haggadah, which means the telling. And so for the Jewish holiday of Passover, Jewish people like to celebrate Passover, and they do it by making what's called a Seder, S-E-D-E-R, Seder. In fact, if you look at the Last Supper, most historians feel that the Christ, Christ's Last Supper was actually a Passover Seder, and that's why he has all his, all his apostles there, all his buddies. It's a great time to call them together for a meeting because they're going to be there anyway. It's been well documented that that he used to go to Jerusalem every year to celebrate Passover. So that's probably what that is. So Passover is the oldest continually celebrated holiday in the history of the world that we know of, which is pretty interesting. So the story is several thousand years old. You might want to ask, well, what could I bring to the table that's new and different? Well, the answer is the story may be old. It's basically the story of Exodus. But the way you celebrate the holiday has changed over the years. Somewhere in the Middle Ages, these rabbis got together and decided to make rules. <laughs> How do you celebrate? What can you eat? What can I eat? What prayers do you need? What, what rituals do you follow? And that became the standardized Passover Seder, if you will. And then over the generations, it's changed slightly. Well, if you talk to most Jewish people, especially the less religious Jewish people, and you ask them, what's your favorite Jewish holiday? 
most of them will say Passover. The kids will say Hanukkah because they get presents. But most, most of the adults say Passover because it's like a Jewish Thanksgiving. The family gets together, the food is great, you tell a few stories, or you, do, you tell the story of Exodus, you read a few prayers, and then you eat a big meal. You ask them, what's the problem with the Seder? And they all say the same thing. Oh, it takes too long. You can't start it until sundown, because that's the way the Jewish holidays are. And you're sitting there reading through this little book, telling all these stories, doing these rituals. And in the meantime, the chicken soup is cooking in the kitchen, and the pot roast is in the oven, and everything smells good, and you can't eat until 10 o'clock at night. So people mm. say, well, hurry up. Skip that page. When do we eat? They get impatient, right? So I saw an opportunity, and I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. My grandfather used to do the whole thing in Hebrew and then in English, and it would take forever. And many people my age have that same story. So I thought, okay, let me see if I can condense the important parts down to about 30 minutes. So it's a guilt-free 30-minute Seder is what I'm actually selling. It's not so much a book. It's a guilt-free Seder that doesn't last more than about half an hour. And I, I met with a rabbi, and she helped me edit it. I purposely picked a female rabbi because I wanted something with a more worldly point of view, somebody less entrenched in this old male dogma. And uh, it was, turns out to be a good choice. So we took out anything that wasn't entirely necessary and left in everything that was necessary. So it's, you know, it's, it's rabbinically approved, you could say. And, and it's uh, guilt-free and it's complete and you don't need anything else, and there's that one thing in there that you don't absolutely have to have. So what I did was I approached my, a friend of mine who I know since I'm nine years old, who's a really good artist, graphic artist, website designer, email guy. I knew I couldn't pay him enough to help me with this, but I couldn't do it myself. First of all, I'm not really a writer, nor am I particularly religious, but I'm an entrepreneur. I saw that there was a need for something like this, and if I do anything, I want to do it correctly. So I approached him, and he said, sure, I'll be your partner. We'll do it together. And he happens to be Catholic. And I knew that if I could make him understand what Passover was all about by my little booklet, that I was, then I was successful. And we did. And, and we, as you know, whenever you write something, you've got to edit it. And then you've got to edit it again. Then you edit it one more time. Then you send it to somebody else for editing. And then you edit it again. We must have looked at it 50 times. Everybody who had a hand in it found a mistake or something they can improve. Finally, it was good enough. We, we released it, and uh, we sold about 25,000 copies our first year out of the gate, which is pretty remarkable in itself. And so, you told me this was 15 years ago, right, before yeah. self-publishing was quite as easy as it is today. How did you sell those first 25,000 copies? Okay, well, let's back up just a little bit quickly. And at mm -hmm. the first year I did it myself, I wrote, I wrote this Passover Haggadah, this 30-minute Seder, and I, I uh, opened up an account with Google AdWords, you know, the little ads in the boxes on the side, or actually now they're part of the organic search. I opened up an account with PayPal. I hired some guy out of New Delhi, India, to make me a website for $200, and, we and I launched it. And in three hours, I had a sale from New Zealand of all places, they bought a download. Well, that year, it was about four weeks or so, up until the holiday of Passover, I think I had about $18,000 in revenue. So I thought, wow, there's a business here. This is not just a little booklet, it's a business. 
So that's when I approached my buddy, and we made it into a real business. So that's how it got started. The following year, when he was involved, and here's where your listeners might find this useful, we went on a publicity campaign. We wrote press releases. We sent out copies of the book to various journalists. We went to, the in New York, we did the Jacob Javits big gift show, which is where the Jewish stuff is sold, to the synagogue gift shops and so forth. And I was on interviews on the radio here and there whenever I was invited. So we used every thing we could think of that we could afford because we didn't have a lot of money, but it doesn't cost a lot of money to write a press release and mail it out. Mm-hmm. And then we started advertising, especially in these all these small Jewish newspapers in the little communities around the country. We picked cities that had a big Jewish population. Most of them have a some kind of Jewish newspaper. Back then, people actually read newspapers. Not, not now, but they did. And we would take out a little ad, maybe an eighth of a page, 300 bucks, something like that. And that helped get the word out. Our biggest problem was, and still is, exposure. If you give me a room full of reform, which means partly religious, not very religious Jewish people, and you show them my little booklet, I would say about half of them will say, how do I get that? I want one, or I want 10. Because one of the keys to our success is that Jewish families buy one of these for every person coming to their Seder. So if you're having 15 guests, you want 15 copies, which is what makes my volume so high. If everybody bought one, I wouldn't be an Amazon top 100 best-selling author. But they buy 5, 10, 15, 20 copies sometimes. And, and that really makes the, the volume go up. And that's what makes the, uh, the profits come in. Because I, I, I do pretty well. You know, I'm not getting rich off it, but I've averaged that somewhere's around $50,000 a year for the last 15 years. I can't sneeze at that. <laughs> it's not really that much work. No, and it sounds like it's an evergreen topic, so it's not going to be dependent upon events going on in the world. It's a convenience for people. Did you ever run into people who said, oh, no, we can't do this in 30 minutes. We've got to do the full thing and object to the tailoring down of the information? Yes, many. Um, the Orthodox, they take six, <clears throat> excuse me, six, eight hours to do a Passover city. They go all night. And, mm-hmm. and for them, it's not, it's just not for them, the, the publication. And they say to me, how could you have a 30-minute Seder? That's a disgrace. You know, it's got to be at least five, five, six hours. And I tell them, well, you know, there are a lot of Jewish people who are kind of leaving the fold, if you will, and they, they're really tired of spending all night doing a Seder, and they don't want to do it at all. So if I can get them interested again, come back to the table to do a short Seder that they, they enjoy, then I'm doing a good thing. And if they want more, I'll send them back to you. And they go, oh, okay, you're doing a good thing. And if they publicly announce that they hate the, hate the Haggadah because it's too short, that's the best possible publicity I can get. I love it when they, they go on Facebook or whatever it is, they go on and they comment that this thing is terrible, it's too short. Every Jewish person who is of the Reform persuasion reads that and they go, i got to find this book, let me see it, because they want a short one. The title is what sells it. 30 Minutes Seder is a great title. But once they actually use it, they love it because it's written so well. It really is written very well. I'm very proud of it. Well, that raises another question in my mind. Are there other Jewish holidays that involve 
long ceremonies which would benefit from this type of shortening? People ask me that all the time. They've asked me that for years. Uh, by the way, they also complain that the book opens up backwards, which is crazy because Hebrew is written right to left, right? So you open the book right to left. English books are written left to right. You open the book left to right. Mine is written in English. There just happens to be a few Hebrew prayers. So I was the first one to produce a Passover Haggadah that opens left to right. And a while, people will complain. They stop complaining now because there's, <laughs> there's obviously too many of them out there. It's pointless for them to, to complain. So, but anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. What was your question again? Are there other ceremonies that would benefit oh, yeah. from this approach? We tried doing a Hanukkah thing, and we tried some other holidays. It turns out the answer is no. Passover is a unique holiday. There's nothing else like it. There's no other holiday where everybody gets a little book that they need a guidebook to, to work through the ritual. Mm -hmm. There's no other holiday that tells the story of how we were once slaves in Egypt and now we're free and you're supposed to tell it to your children and not eat bread and there's a lot of little things to go with it. Uh, we've tried and we've never made a dime really on any of the other items that we tried to sell. Actually, we've had other things for Passover. We had a game once. It was called The Promised Land. It was a cute little game. It was great. But I don't think we sold more than 50 of them. Just the booklet is only the only thing that ever really sold in any kind of volume. So the answer to your question, the short answer is no, there's nothing mm. else like it. And do you have any competitors? When I first started, I did not have any. The only competitor I had was the uh, Maxwell House. I got a Maxwell House coffee for years would produce a booklet like mine that was free. And it'd be in all the supermarkets and you bought a can of coffee, you get a free copy of it. Now, nobody really paid any attention to how many, they took as many as they want, but nevertheless, it was free. So I was competing against free. And I said, sure, bring it on. I mean, those books were boring and they were long and ugly. And uh, I, I, I got into the supermarkets for a little while and I said, just put mine right next to the Maxwell House Free of God and I guarantee mine will sell out. And, and they did. So now, fast forward 15 years later, there's lots of different Haggadahs out there. Actually, technically, it's, they're called Haggadot. But there's lots of them out there. Everybody and his brother has written one, it seems like. I was the first one to advertise the Passover Haggadah anywhere. Now you see ads for them. Not so much this year, of course, but in general. When I started my Google AdWords campaign, I was paying 16 cents a click. And I was the only one out there doing it. Now I'm getting outbid. People paying over a dollar a click. The book's only six ninety five. I can't afford to pay a dollar a click. You know, it mm -hmm. just doesn't work for me. As it turns out, about three years ago, Amazon decided to get into the game and purchase some of my thirty minute saders. I found it by accident on Amazon. It was actually on Amazon <clears throat> Amazon of India. <laughs> and then the next year they ordered some from me for Amazon in America. The problem with Amazon is they didn't understand any seasonal holiday that's not named Christmas. And so they ordered, I don't know, 100 copies, maybe 50 copies, something like that. They sold out instantly. And they were always out of stock before the holiday when they really needed them. It took me a long time to get them to understand they needed to order 5,000, not five. Okay, so Amazon, about three years ago, started doing Google AdWords for Passover Haggadahs. And it's my book with my name on it, and they outbid me. 
So you go to the first page and you type in 30 minutes later and their ad comes up first and my ad comes up second. It's insane. Mm -hmm. But you know what? If they're selling my book, that means they bought it from me. They just got it wholesale instead of paying retail, right? So I'm making money either way. So I, after a while, I thought, you know, this is great. You can't beat him. Might as well join him. Not only that, I was paying sometimes $50,000 a year in advertising. My partner, I decided, you know what? That's it. We're cutting our advertising budget to zero. We'll let Amazon, Amazon advertise for us. They're doing it anyway. And they're doing a better job than us. They're really good at it. Mm -hmm. So we stopped advertising and now they have an ad. And when you click on their ad for a passive regatta, our book always shows first because we pay for advertising on Amazon site, which is really helpful. They have a cost per click campaign and it's still fairly inexpensive and it works very well for us. And the other competition, sure. But, you know, it's like, um, where do you buy anything these days? First choice, Amazon. Second choice, Costco. Third choice, Walmart. Fourth choice, who cares? That's what this is like. We're mm -hmm. so far above everybody else that the competition is negligible. Mm -hmm. yeah, hopefully it stays that way, but eventually somebody else is going to be like me and write something else that'll be new and fresh with a different spin on it, and they'll knock me out of the box, and, and they'll be on top for a while. Luckily for me, it's a small enough niche that there's not a lot of people fighting for it. And not a lot of sophisticated people, you know, if one of these big publishing houses decided to hire a writer to write one and put it out there, they probably could have put us out of business overnight. But we're under the radar. We don't mm -hmm. sell that many, you know, 50 60,000 books a year, it's nothing for them. But for me, it's, it's a big deal. And you mentioned this year was different, and I was wondering if people celebrated Passover virtually, can you still do the ceremony and do the Seder over Zoom, or what happened? Did you see any drop in sales? <laughs> I'm laughing because last year we sold our Haggadahs in 12 packs. You know, you take a dozen of them, shrink wrap them, and we sold 12 for the price of 10. So for 69.50, you get 12 books. Amazon took and sold 500 of these 12 packs for us, 6,000 books total. And, and they were sold out. In fact, towards the, the end, close to the holiday, we had to start shipping them from our warehouse here in Phoenix because Amazon didn't have any more and it wasn't enough time to get them additional copies. Okay, this year they sold 12. Mm. 500 last year, this year 12. Mm -hmm. We made no money this year. We had some sales. Mm -hmm but not enough to really show a profit. You got to remember, Passover is like the Jewish Thanksgiving. The fa families come, they come to grandma's house or mom and dad's house or their uncle's house or their friend's house. And there's five, 10, 20 people come and they all come to the house and, and they do the Seder. And this year, nobody went anywhere because of COVID. And so there was no reason to buy any of these. Now, there were some Zoom Seders and we thought about making one. And we decided that would be a living nightmare because people are just not that good at it yet. And, and you get a lot of especially technically challenged people, older people who just don't really get it. They could open up a book and read it, no problem. But to do Zoom and to be in front of the camera and have a decent microphone and it just, it wouldn't work. And so we decided anybody can do it if they want to, but we, didn't have any part of it. I'm sure there were 30 minutes Seder, Zoom Seders, but um, 
I don't really know about them. I really didn't follow up on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly is a whole different way of of thinking about celebrating a holiday like that. It you, is. You don't have the food element. You have people in their homes separately. It's better than not connecting at all, but it certainly changes the flavor of the holiday. It does, because you sit around the table and everybody takes a turn reading and then you pass around the plate with the matzah, which is the unleavened bread, a cracker, right? And you pass around horseradish and you pass around something called choroset, which is made with apples and parsley and a few other ingredients. And it's kind of fun. It's festive and it's everybody together and sharing and, and you dip things in salt water. And it's, you know, it's like a kid's game almost. And, and it's a lot of fun. And everything is symbolic of something. That's the whole holiday. Everything means something else. It's all symbolic. And, and so doing that is, is, is enriching and it's fun and it's meaningful. Doing it over Zoom, you know, you could have your stuff in front of you and do it, but it's not the same. It's mm -hmm. just not anywhere near, near the same. Mm -hmm. And then uh, as part of the uh, Seder, you're supposed to hide a piece of the matzah and either let the kids find it and give them some kind of reward or the old traditional European way was the kids would hide it and the head of the household would have to find it. And they would buy hints from the kids by bribing them with whatever, a quarter or something, you know, and, and they'd find it. So most Americans let the kids find it. Well, you can do that when you have the moms and pops and cousins and uncles and the whole family at the house. You can't do it if it's two people and you're on Zoom. How do you have a treasure hunt on Zoom? You can't. So it doesn't work. You're right. There is no way to do that. There's no way. Not to do it well, anyway. Um, I don't know. You could, maybe somebody could come up with a digital version, like those hidden pictures. Have it hidden in a picture that you, somebody drew. You could do that. But it's not nearly as much fun as to watch the little kids running around screaming, looking under the couch cushions and behind mm -hmm. things. And, you know, and, and then one finds it. They're all happy. And um, they come running in with it. It's not, you know, it's just not, not the same. The, the purpose for the holiday is to tell your kids about freedom. You know, not to take for granted that we were once not free and now we are, and every year to, to pass that down. And, and, that, and that's kind of true in a lot of cultures for a lot of things. It's not, the Jews don't have a monopoly on that, but we got the big one. You know, Moses, let my people go. People mm -hmm. know about that. Mm -hmm. And so right in the Torah, which is the Old Testament, is written the story and what you're supposed to do in part anyway to celebrate passover god has commanded that you do these things and over the years they've embellished it but there's really some basic things that it's commanded that you do and so there's nothing else really like that out there that i know of and of course jews and italians we love food right food's always a big part of the holiday everybody loves food but it's really part of our culture and there are foods we eat just on Passover, make mm -hmm. a big deal about it. So it's it's uh, got to be a unique holiday. Anyway, it's going on 16 years now. And hmm. I calculate roughly half a million copies sold. And that includes the standard six by nine size booklet, which, by the way, is no accident. I made it the same size as that Maxwell House Sagata I told you about earlier. That was no accident. Uh, I wanted to be 
a traditional looking size. What's traditional about six by nine? I don't know. That's just the size that the Maxwell House Legata was always printed in, so people were used to it. And so we did that. In fact, we made a cookbook one year, which sold okay. I made it the same size as well, so you can stack them all up together. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, it's been 16 years total, half a million. So we've sold hard copies of six by nine, hard copies of the eight and a half by 11, the braille copies, not too many of those. And then we have downloads, so people can print as many as they want. And we figured very conserva- conservatively, people probably printed at least three copies. So we counted that as three sales uh-huh. and added it all up, and it came out to about half, half a million copies. About, I think it was a total of $2 million, if I'm not mistaken, in sales. <laughs> it's just, it still amazes me. It is an amazing story, Rob. Yeah, and not only that, you know, I didn't give you all the details, but one of the thing you might know, which is interesting, when I wrote it, I wanted to edit it. I wanted a rabbi to edit it, and I wanted a female rabbi to edit it. Like I said, I didn't want a male, stodgy male person to do that. I want, it was all gender neutral. There's no gender in this booklet at all, which is also a first. So I found the rabbi to help me in editor who was local here in Phoenix. And in the course of our conversation, it turns out I knew her in high school. And she lived four blocks from me. <laughs> so, and, and the first year we printed 25, no, we printed 50,000 copies. We printed them in Italy, outside of Milan. That's a whole story in itself, which I'm not going to bore you with. But um, it's one thing after the other. There's all these unusual things. Mm-hmm. And now we print them in Denver. For the last 14 years, we've printed them in Denver. And they do a great job. And I'm not going to mess with that. So they are not printed by Amazon, then? No, they are not. You print them on demand, you lose your, your shirt. I mean, um, you know, I don't know how many people are going to hear your podcast, and I'm taking a risk here, but I'll tell them anyway because it doesn't matter that much. But we sell our book for six ninety five. It costs me $0.35. Cents. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's pretty amazing in itself. And then our download cost me nothing, and I sell that for nineteen ninety five. Now people say to me, how could you have the nerve to sell – a PDF download for more money than the book. Well, that's easy. I'm not really selling you a book. I'm selling you a license. You could print as many as you want for the same 20 bucks. I don't care if you print one or a thousand. It's the same $20. That's how I justify it. And people go, oh, okay. And they're glad to pay it. That's a fascinating approach, Rob. It's it's unusual. I'll have to give you that. It's the only one I, only one I know of. I've but doing this 16 years, I've never heard of anybody selling something digitally cheaper, um, cheap, no, selling something digitally more expensive than the hard copy counterpart. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Passover is a unique holiday. It calls for unique ideas. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I woke up with this idea in my head. I, just the whole thing, the name, the subtitle, the, the marketing, all of it. I woke up one morning and there it was right in front of me. You just said, oh, I know what to do. And I just wrote it all down and did it. It was, I don't know. If I was religious, I would say I would say it's a gift from God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know where it came from. I'll take it though. Uh, yeah, when those checks come in, you're you're saying thank you, God. Thank you. I appreciate that's that. That's right. And, and not only that, I mean, you know, I like to say I love the money and I don't really want the fame. Just leave the money on the table and leave me alone, right? <laughs> but the reality of it is, I've changed the way thousands of people celebrate the holiday, and that makes me feel pretty good because I haven't just changed it; I've made it better. They really enjoy it. I went from taking families who said, oh, man, I'm glad to say, I'm glad that part's over. Let's eat. 
to them saying, wow, that was great. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Now let's eat. That's a huge difference. So I think that's why it's remained successful for so long. It's because it really serves a need. It's a guilt-free, short, quality-written Passover Seder. Mm-hmm. And people appreciate that. You should see the emails I get. I get hundreds of them. People love it. It's changed lives all over the world, mostly America, but all over the world. We, we calculated we've sold at least one copy in at least 115 countries. Hmm. I mean, everywhere from Bahrain to New Jersey. It's, <laughs> it's an astounding story. You know, I mean, I look at it almost it like I, it's somebody else who did it. And I'm thinking back to something you just said about changing the way people celebrate holidays, because I have a need to eat at regular intervals or else my blood sugar drops. And if I get pushed beyond a regular mealtime, I can get real irritable. And I was just thinking about a couple of weddings that I went to. My husband is from India. And in Indian weddings, they think nothing of having the ceremony at six, and then they bring the food out at nine or 9.30 or 10 o'clock. And I said to my husband, you know, why so late? And I'm just thinking of that experience when you talk about five or six hours of the ceremony, it, it tests everybody's stamina and patience. And then if you've got little kids running around and it's past their bedtime, you know, Which it, it seems to me like you gave a solution to people to make something that was important so much easier to participate in. I did. Uh, and I had one, you know, I always joke and I say, you know, that was my one moment of brilliance in my lifetime. But really, there was two. The other one is from the same holiday. And, and we released some instructions on how to use the Haggadah more effectively and how to make a better Passover Seder and recipes and all that. And one of the things I had implemented in my own household and that I published was if you're going to do a Passover Seder, there's nothing wrong with giving the people a little something to eat. You're really supposed to wait till sundown to start the holiday, but you can wait till sundown even. It's not that late, but rather than make them sit through this whole Seder first, serve the appetizer when they sit down. Give them a, usually it's chicken soup with matzo balls is the traditional thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's some hard thing called gefilte fish with horseradish, you know. I suppose real homemade gefilte fish is good, but the stuff that most people buy comes in a jar <laughs> It's pretty awful, but it's traditional. In any case, um, I say give the people the appetizer when they sit down. Welcome them, to, welcome them to the Seder table. Here's your chicken soup. And and then start the Seder. This way people had a little something to eat. They're not so anxious, antsy. Hungry. Now they can easily sit through a half an hour worth of storytelling and prayers and rituals and then have the big meal. Mm-hmm. The other thing I did was traditionally... You're supposed to do most of the Seder, and then you stop for the meal. Then you come back after the meal, and you say a few prayers, and you sing a few songs, and you conclude the Seder. And at the end, you say, next year in Jerusalem, like they hope we'll be in Jerusalem. Well, good luck trying to get any Reformed Jewish family back to the table to read through the Haggadah after they've done with dinner and dessert. <laughs> There's no way. So when I wrote the thing, I made it so that the latter part of the Seder was part of the initial part. In other words, when you finish my booklet, when you finish the 30-minute Seder, you're done. You go eat and you don't come back. Mm-hmm. And that was a major change, which upset a lot of people. But the people who were my buyers, 
they weren't upset at all. They loved it. They went, great. You got you covered everything. And before you did it before dinner, because they don't want to come back anyhow. So I feed them a little bit when they first sit down. And then I finish the whole thing before they go and eat. And that makes for such a such a much more enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why really why I've sold half a million copies. I know somebody listening to this is going to say, I want a copy of Rob's book. What would be the best way for them to be able to get that? I'm sorry, they're all sold out. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what? Last year, not this past, past or the one before, um, the day of the holiday, the orders stopped later in the afternoon. I had one more order and, and I had sold out. Amazon had none. My warehouse had none. My closet had none. I scrounged around the house. I actually found a few more copies. I found my very last copy and mailed it out at the end of the day for my last order. So we sold every single book we printed, which is amazing. This year we printed 66,000 copies and we only sold a few thousand. So yeah, we have plenty. If you want to get a 30-minute Seder, you can get it a few different ways. Some of the Barnes & Nobles have them, but I wouldn't go there because a lot of time they run out. Amazon has them, and thanks to our diligence, they usually have plenty. And you can get them on Prime in one or two days. Or you can go to my website, which is how I prefer you buy it because I make a little more money that way. And it's 30minutesader.com. That's the number three and zero, S-E-D-E-R. Well, 30 minute, M-I-N-U-T, 30-M-I-N-U-T-E-S-E-D-E-R.com, 30-Minute Seder. And you can just type that into Google and you'll find us. Um, also, one of the things we've done, another first, you can see the whole thing on our website. And you just click on Preview, and you can see every single page. You can read the whole thing. If you really wanted to, you could print it out and use it. But it says across the thing, sample. You know, you'd, be, you'd look pretty cheap if you did that. <laughs> but mm-hmm. a lot of people say, well, why don't you leave pages out? Don't do the whole thing. You know, just do some of the pages. That's all you need. We thought, you know, because it was so controversial, a lot of people were worried, well, is 30 minutes really enough? Do you really get everything? We wanted them to, sh- we wanted to show people the whole thing so they could read and go, oh, yeah, there's nothing missing. And so we have the whole, you could read the whole thing, every page, the covers, the inside, all of it. See it online before you buy it. You can't do that on Amazon. You have to do it on my website. Now, if you want, you can go to my website and decide to buy it and then go to Amazon and buy it. Sure. I can't stop you. And that's okay. But if you go to my website, you'll get it just as fast. And you'll be helping me out, which I appreciate. All right. Thank you so much, Rob, for talking about your 30-minute Seder book, which has proven to strike a chord with people, made a long, long ceremony into something condensed down that helps people enjoy the holiday, get through the parts that used to take so much more time, and then to be able to move on to the fellowship and the community and the family experiences of eating the meal together. Well, no wonder you're an editor and a writer. You said that so much better than I did. <laughs> well, but I haven't been selling a half a million copies of a book over 15 years. So I might be able to write, but I certainly <laughs> admire and take my hat off to you for your marketing prowess. That's well, impressive. Thank you. thank you. Yeah, it really was an entrepreneurial activity rather than a, a writing activity. <laughs> Even though there's writing involved, it's, yeah, I'm basically an entrepreneur. I'm not an author. When the pub- I had two publishers want to buy it from me. 
and, and market it. And I said, no, no, I don't want, I don't have another book in me. If I had another book in me, I would have said, sure, go take it and I'll go busy writing. But I didn't. And so I just was looking for a business and it supplied me with a business. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So it's different. Anyway, well, this has been fun. Thanks, Pat. Thank you for being a part of the show. And thank you to you who has been listening to this on our audio channels or watching it on our YouTube channel, which is patire.com. Our podcasts are available every week, new interview each week. Be sure to tell people who have an interest in writing books to pay attention to writing to get business. Thanks so much. This is Pat Iyer with Writing to Get Business podcast, and I have been interviewing Dr. Tracy Jones, who is the author of a book called Spark. She is also a publisher, and we've just finished um, a stimulating conversation. Tracy, tell our viewer or our listener who's listening to this segment, what are they going to take away from your show? Well, thanks, Pat. Well, there's two things I really hope they take away from the show. First is I hope they enjoy the energy. I hope it gives them hope um, in the whole process, the whole creative process of getting their thoughts out there. If they ever were thinking about becoming a thought leader and writer, I hope that I got to demystify some of that and encourage them that this they can do. I also hope that they get some, I hope they get some chunky content about the whole process of it. And I like to demystify um, and share all the wisdom that I've gathered from 10 years in the publishing industry about how you can take knowledge and repurpose it to really manifest your brand and continue to reach way more lives than you could one-on-one. Those are messages that you definitely are going to want to hear. So be sure to look for Dr. Tracy Jones' podcast on writing to get business and stay tuned so that you get her tips and wisdom on writing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.